Lee, a seven-year-old boy, was asked to say thanks for Christmas dinner. And Lee began his prayer thanking God for his mommy and daddy, his grandma, and all of his aunts and his uncles. Well, then he began to thank the Lord for the food. He gave thanks for the turkey, the stuffing, even the cranberry sauce. But then Lee paused, and everyone waited, and waited some more. And after a long silence, the young boy looked over at his mom and said, Mom, if I thank God for the Brussels sprouts, won't he know I'm lying? <laughs> Turn your Bibles with me, if you would, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to begin reading at verse number 1. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse number 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now here in our text today, the Apostle Paul is grappling with trying to teach an attitude that he wants to be prevalent in the New Testament church. And he begins to talk about them, about this concept of, of thinking about others. And he says, if there is to be any comfort, if there's to be any affection, any mercy, let's not do things through selfish ambition, but in oneness, in one mind, in one accord. You see, he's trying to develop a sociological culture for the New Testament church. Now, you need to understand that every group has a culture. Now, when we think of culture, we think of maybe racial ethnicity or, or national culture, but every group has a culture. Even churches and sororities and restaurants have certain personalities, certain traits, and certain profiles. And so what Paul is trying to do is inject in the early development of the church the DNA of Christ the understanding of his mentality, of his method, methodology, so that this culture would be inherent in the development of the body of Christ. And he was trying to instill a culture of humility, esteeming one another above yourselves. Now, this simple training that he's given them is so profound. Because if we would do that, think about it. Can you imagine what it would be like if people were really humble? Really humble. I don't mean the faint Christian humility that you see people try to do when they try to impress you. I'm talking about a humility that comes from the heart. A grace where we really, from our heart, don't need to be seen. Don't need to be acknowledged. Don't need to be coddled. 
just a humility down in our own spirit, preferring others above ourselves. Where we get up each day with the attitude of, who can I help today? Who can I be a blessing to? Can you imagine what this world would be like if people were really like that? I mean, can you imagine what your house or your marriage would be like if everyone was like that? Can you imagine how much better thing, how much things would be better if people were really humble? But you know, here's the thing though, we think about humility and we think, well, that's, you know, in our society of uh, all, being all about me, those are weak people. Those are sissies. It's sissy to be humble. You can't be macho and be humble. That's the exact opposite. You have to be strong to be humble. You can't be a weak person with low self-esteem and be humble. In fact, most people with low self-esteem try to hide it with arrogance and excessiveness and flamboyance. But to be humble, you have to be strong enough to know who you are so you don't need people to tell you who you are. You have to be strong to prefer other people above yourself. You have to be strong enough to say, hey, it's okay. I'm okay. I'm fine. Go ahead. You can have this seat. I'll, I'll take another one. In other words, you have to be secure in an understanding of yourself to be kind and humble. Because here's the thing. Insecure people are always fighting and wrestling for recognition. Well, you didn't say anything about me. You didn't help me. Why don't you ever ask me? prevalent idea of our culture today is me, 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 me. It's because we've got a little mini-me down inside of us screaming for attention, needing constant validation. Now, I don't mind validation. Validation is a good thing, but constant validation is draining. It's tiring. Validation is good, but constant validation just wears you out because, let's be honest, nothing is ever good enough. You always want more. You always need more when you are in that mode of needing validation. So you have to be strong to be humble. You have to be strong enough not to need constant validation. You have to be strong enough to come in and take the back seat. You have to be strong to take the low road. You have to be strong to be in an argument with someone and know exactly what to say to shut them down but not say it. Now, sometimes I pass that test and sometimes I don't pass that test, but uh, we praise the Lord anyway. But the thing is, you have to know who you are. You have to have a sense of purpose where you don't need other people to define you because you are secure within yourself. It means that you can bow out of the spotlight and it doesn't matter. Now that is humility. And you know, that, all, that preaches real well, and, and, and certainly, of course, Christians in the church, we say, oh yeah, yeah, we need to be humble, we need to be humble. But you know, a lot of times as Christians, we think we've arrived. We kind of think we've got our act together. And several years ago, Billy Graham was picked up at an airport for a speaking engagement. He was met by a very distinguished, handsome young man who was going to drive uh, Reverend Graham around for the few days that he was in that city. And as they were talking, it came out that this young man in his past had been a criminal. 
been involved in drugs and uh, prostitution and gambling. But he said, I got saved. I gave my life to Christ. Reverend Graham said, that's wonderful. You made the right decision, son. Well, the young man continued, since I used people for my benefit most of my life, my debt is that God wants me to serve God's people. And so he's explaining why he went from being a pimp to a servant in the house of God. Well, after a couple of days of them being together and conversing, Reverend Graham said, you know, you think you've been humbled by having to serve me, and you're explaining why you have to serve because of what you did in your past. But the thing you don't understand is that if you're serving me, you are serving a servant. You see, you think I'm way up here and you're way down here. But there is no way up here. There's only one job opening in the church, and that is as a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, there are different types of servants, of service, but we are all serving one another. You serve me so that I can serve you. Reverend Graham said, we are all servants in the kingdom of God. And he said, now, I don't want you to think that I'm any holier than you because we've all stripped ourselves and girded ourselves with a towel and fell down at the master's feet. There's only but one master, and his name is Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, make no mistake. That name, Jesus, is a beautiful name, and demons tremble at the sound of that name. Sickness flees at the sound of that name. Heaven quakes and earth trembles at the sound of that name. Jesus Christ is the one that we serve. So listen, folks, don't think too highly of yourself because we are all prisoners of the gospel. We are all captive by his calling, and we are all humbled into his service. I am not my own. I am bought with a price, and that price is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Do I ever kick against his will? Yes. Do I ever fight it? Yes. Am I rebellious? Yes. Have I gone my own way? Yes, from time to time. But when the struggle is over, God always prevails because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The truth is, folks, I am not my own. You are not your own if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that leads me to tell us that we need to be careful how we handle other children of God. It's not them you have to fear, but their master is not to be fooled with. Be careful how you judge others. God said, who are you to judge someone else's servant? Folks, we belong to God, so it's not your job to chastise other people. God can't take care of his kids. He doesn't need our help. And so when we're truly humble, we don't pick on other servants. I'm not yours. I belong to God. And when we are his, we serve others. And why is that? Because he came to serve us. Now, our text doesn't really seem appropriate for Christmas. You know, here we are at the Sunday before Christmas, and, uh, you know, there's a Christmas message, and uh, hopefully this will turn into that. But this text here really doesn't fit what we're used to hearing at this time of the year, hearing in the Christmas story. In fact, usually this text gets preached at Easter time because the real meat of this text is that Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, that's the preaching point 
of this text for most people. But you know, last Sunday I made the statement that, you know, we've heard the Christmas story so much that it, well, let's be honest, it just really doesn't astonish us anymore. You know, we, uh, we hear it, we've heard it our whole lives. And so, you know, how many different ways can you tell the same story? And so, you know, we, we, don't, we don't look at it in amazement anymore. And so today I want to try to use a portion of this text to try and bring back the majesty of this incredible story, because it is an incredible story. It is the most incredible story. In our text it says, Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, humbled himself, taking the form of a bondservant. The Lord of glory, God himself, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, took upon himself the form of a servant. Do you realize who we're talking about here? Almighty God who clapped his hands and angels stood at attention. God who who clapped his hands and lightning flared. God who clapped his hands and seas obeyed him. God who created with the words of his mouth all material things ever created. I'm talking about God surrounded by the royal diadem and the host of heaven. I'm talking about God and his majesty in his sovereign grace. God. God, the ruler of the universe, our universe, other universes, our solar system, other solar systems, solar systems we're still trying to find, places we haven't even discovered yet. Whatever and wherever it is, God is God, and whatever we're going to seek, when we find it, he'll also be God over that. Do you understand who we are talking about here this morning? And he came to earth the creator, the orchestrator of everything. And God came to earth to serve you and me. God in his omniscience, all-knowing, can never be taught anything, understands everything, has never been challenged with a question that he couldn't answer. God with absolute intelligence, completely brilliant, all-inclusive, never been faced with anything that he didn't know. Everything about everything is wrapped up in this one being, Almighty God. God is a textbook writer. God is a creator, the ambassador behind every invention that will ever be invented. The wisdom of man is foolishness to God. And he says, I am God. I have all power. I have all authority. I am God. No court can hold me. No judge can judge me. I am God. I have absolute power. I bow to nothing and to no one. Almighty God said, besides me, there is no other. I alone am God. And I came as a baby in a manger to serve you. He says, I'm God. I don't travel. I don't take planes, trains, or automobiles because I'm on the present. You travel because you're limited by space, by matter and time, but I'm not. I'm in Chicago, I'm in L.A., I'm in Taiwan, I'm in Iraq, I'm in Africa, all at the same time. The clock moves on me. 
I am God, time yields to me. I'm in your yesterday, today, and your tomorrow, all at the same time. And when you get there, I will already be there waiting on you. That's God. That's the God I'm talking about. I'll push you and I'll pull you to get where I want you to be. I am God, but yet I came to earth to make a way for you to get to heaven. Isn't that amazing? I mean, he is God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, dressed in his own righteousness. His glory is so pervasive that heaven needs no sun. His face illuminates all of glory. He is God sitting on the throne before 24 elders across a sea of glass. He's a God of ancient of days, Jehovah, Elohim, the creator, El Shaddai, God Almighty, Yahweh, the only God, Adonai, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is God, the sovereign one. He is God, never weak, never broke, never desperate, never without. He is God, and yet he allowed himself Can you get this? He allowed himself to be found in the appearance of man. Jesus came down to you and me as the Son of God and the Son of Man. That's what the amazing part is. Now, you have to understand he couldn't do it as he was. God had to pull out of himself his glory and his honor and his power. His omnipotence, his omnipresence were all compromised. He could no longer be all-knowing. He could no longer be all-present. He had to give up his power. And when he had stripped himself of his majesty and became as low as he could go, God came down. You know, in math, when you're in dealing with fractions, we reduce them to the lowest common denominator. So uh, we can deal with them easily. Well, Jesus Christ, if you'll think about it, Jesus Christ was God reducing himself to the lowest. I mean, if he would have entered Mary's womb in his majesty, her stomach would have exploded. If Jesus would have come... In her womb as Elohim, her heart would have stopped beating. Nobody could even look at God and live, much less him live in them. So he had to drain himself of his glory so he could put his glory in us. And he took upon himself the form of a servant. And he came down from eternity. But you see that in itself. was a hurdle because God had to look for a hole for which he could tunnel into time. Because he is used to eternity where there is no time. So he had to come down into a realm where there was time. And he had made a law that in order to get from eternity into time that a man had to be born of a woman. You know, spirits, they can come and they can go, but they can't stay. Because in order to occupy space, you have to be born of a woman. So God found a woman, a pure woman, a holy woman. He said, Mary, I'm going to overshadow your womb and wrap myself in the towel of your flesh, being found in the form of a servant. 
And he let his mama's reputation be ruined while they talked about her like a dog, saying she must be a tramp. Mary's response to that was so weak that even her fiancé wanted to distance himself from her and give her a bill of divorce. And so when God, when God came down, he came down from a place of grace to a place of disgrace. God, Emmanuel, God with us, God came down. If we would have welcomed him with our best, our very best opulence would have been his trash. I mean, after all, his streets are paved with gold. But he bypassed the political powers, the mansions, the high and mighty, and he came down to a barn, a barn where we keep our livestock. Mary went into labor and had the Savior of the world, and they put him in a trough that the animals eat out of. God came down, no one honoring him, no one worshiping him. And they wrapped the baby Jesus in swaddling cloth. Now, some believe the swaddling cloth was milk rags. The rags that catch the milk when milking a cow. How interesting that they put the milk of the word in the milk rags. So Jesus, who carries us, now he has to be carried. Jesus, who teaches us, now has to be taught language and how to take his first steps. He came down. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Well, it was the failure of the first experiment. When Adonai tried to have their likeness in the earth before they did it with Adam, Genesis 1.26 says, Let us make man in our own image and in our own likeness. And they formed him from the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Adam was created and given rule. But you see, Adam couldn't handle that which had come so fast. And we all know the story. He fell from grace. So Christ says, I will not come as a man. I will come as a child. And Isaiah tells us, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. What an oxymoron. The government upon the shoulders of a baby, a baby that carries the universe, is carried by his mama. God stepping from eternity that has no limits of time down into finite time. And the humility of the king of kings coming to this earth and picking the form of a servant. Why? Why did he do that? Friend, listen to me. Until he came down, when you prayed, he couldn't feel it. When you said you needed sleep, he couldn't feel it because he never slept nor slumbered. He never got tired. He never got weak. He never had any adversity. He couldn't be touched by your infirmity. You said you were tempted. He didn't know what temptation was. You said you lacked. He didn't know what need was. You said you were sick. He didn't know what sickness was. 
So he didn't know those things, but he humbled himself so that he could have a better conversation with you. That's why he came down. So that when you came to him and said, God, I'm so tired, well, now he, now he can be touched by the feeling of your infirmity. Jesus came down to where you are. When you said, Lord, I'm so sad I've lost a loved one. Well, because he came down, now he can comfort you because he knows what it's like to lose someone he loved. He came down to where you were and he humbled himself for you. You know, if you marry a drug addict, you almost need to be a drug addict too. Think about it. If you marry a football player, you need to know something about football. If you're going to marry a preacher, you ought to know something about the Bible because it's going to be difficult for the preacher and the crackhead to make it because we're not going to be able to communicate about what we're hooked on. Right? You see, because you need something that I don't need. Well, here's my point. There's a quote that says, a bird and a fish can fall in love. But if they do, where would they live? One day God and man fell in love. But where would they live? The man couldn't go up where God was for he had fallen too deep into sin. But yet, the Bible says that God so loved. That God so loved. So before we could go up and swim where he flew, God said, I'm going to come down where you are. And I am going to sit where you sit. And God came down like a bird learning how to swim in the contaminated water of this sinful world. He wrapped himself up in flesh and had his first night's sleep in billions of years because he had never slept before. What's this thing you call hunger? He hungered for the milk he created. He was carried by the arms that he made. He laid his head on the ground that he spoke into existence. He humbled himself. But in the process of humbling himself, Jesus Christ teaches us this principle. If you have the grace and the strength to humble yourself, in due time, I will exalt you. Think about it. For 33 years, they talked about him. They spat on him. They criticized him. They ostracized him. They misused him. They abused him. And then they crucified him. They crucified the Lord of glory. They crucified the Messiah. They crucified the one that they were waiting on. They crucified Almighty God. They crucified him as he humbled himself and let them do it. That's the amazing thing. He let them do it. For three days, everything went crazy. The earth quaking, dead men seen walking the streets of Jerusalem. The veil of the temple was ripped in two. Everything in earth and heaven was shaken. They had crucified him. Three days, fearful disciples, people running, hiding, Thomas doubting, Peter cussing. 
Three days of utter chaos, total confusion. Three days of people wondering, who was this guy? Was he really who he said he was? What's he all about? Three days, three days, three days. But early Sunday morning, he got up from the grave, and the stone was rolled away, and Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb. He walked out of the tomb. You see, Jesus Christ came down, but he didn't stay down. He didn't stay down. Now, the resurrection wasn't the end of the story. Because if Jesus had been resurrected, if God had resurrected him back to being a man, well, he still would have just been a man. But you see, Jesus walked around for 40 days showing himself alive with many unmistakable proofs. And then he went with the disciples to the Mount of Olives, and he stepped on a cloud and said, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world was. And Jesus, who came down for you and for me, went back to heaven where he had come from. Well, I can understand you would say, well, after all of that, after everything he went through, I mean, he went back to the place where he was in the first place. No, that's not true. Jesus didn't go back to where he was in the first place because in the first place, he was separated from that which he loved. He was separated from you and from me. And when Jesus ascended back to heaven, he brought you up with him and he brought me up with him so that we could all sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Jesus. Now, if you choose to live down here, you can. But I want you to know God has called you to a higher place and a deeper dimension and to another level of grace. If you choose to stay in sin, that's your business. If you choose to die without God, that's your choice. Because Jesus made it possible through humbling himself as a servant so that you could live with him forever. And that, my friend, is what the majesty of the Christmas story is all about. It is God providing a way that a bird and a fish can fall in love and truly be together. God came down so that we could go up. Bow your heads with me, if you would, please. You know, there's someone who's here this morning, probably, who's having a big fight in your house over any number of issues. There might be someone else who's here today, and you don't like the job that you're working at. But folks, what we have to remember is that when we will humble ourselves, God will exalt us. And so this Christmas, let's give the gift that keeps on giving. Let's give the gift of a new 
attitude. As the word of God says, let each of you look out, not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it begins when Jesus is truly the Lord of your life. The Christmas story is about humility, about God coming down. And I want you to know today, if you have sin in your life, God came down. 